As I approached the end of my degree, Mrs Sivan urged me to apply for postgraduate study overseas. The previous year, Kate Stevens had moved to Fort Worth, Texas to study for a master's degree. Fort Worth was the host city of the Van Cliburn International Piano Competition and of the Cliburn Institute and Associated Summer School. According to Kate, it was a mecca of pianistic talent. Of course they enormously appreciate Kate, Mrs Sivan told me. You must make audition tape immediately for Cliburn Institute. They will enormously appreciate you too, this I guarantee. I did as she suggested and received a personal acceptance letter from the director, offering me a scholarship to the Institute and inviting me to audition for a master's degree. It's excellent news, Mrs Sivan said. I'm not saying America has no problems, sometimes business instead of music, but they understand levels, yes. She stared out the window at the empty street. In some ways, Australia's sleeping beauty, but really has huge, huge future. You know, I am enormous patriotic. I met so many talent here, but so many robbed from having it because not given education. You think I came here by accident? In some ways, yes, but really not. On large scale, I not believe in accidents. Must mean something. She turned to me and took my hand. My darling, you will learn from everything and everywhere, but you must promise you will return here and teach. Such talk made me uneasy. I had not even gone anywhere yet. It seemed too early to promise I would return. Instead, I took the bright orange score of the Cacciaturian Concerto out of my music satchel and placed it on the stand. I had once more made it through to the second round of the Young Performers Award. This year, I was determined to have 200% security and not to be preposterous. I rehearsed the concerto in my mind as I swam laps at the pool. I repeated its varied choreography until my hands knew every movement away from the piano. I analysed each tasty chord, each zesty harmony. I studied the orchestral score until I could flick through it in my mind, poring over the entries of the bass clarinet and flexitone. Comes much better, Mrs Sivan said in my last lesson before the audition. This time, as I played at the ABC, I heard no mutterings of preposterous. The next day, when I returned home from the conservatorium on my bicycle, my father met me at the front gate. You received the most important phone message of your life today, Pi. You'll be playing with the Adelaide Symphony a week after you get back from Texas. My bike clattered to the ground, and I danced with him beside the roses. After returning to Adelaide from the summer school, I had five days to recover from jet lag before the keyboard final. It was an exhausting schedule, but I had to get used to it if I was going to be serious. In Russia, we were trained to play at any time of day or night, Mrs Sivan told me. They woke us at three in the morning, at four, and we had to play immediately, in any situation, in any temperature, on any piano. Definitely we have guts, otherwise not survive. My mother drove me to the ABC for the moment I had been anticipating for years, my first meeting with an orchestra. The conductor, Sir William Southgate, invited me into Studio 520, and I stepped inside to see 80 musicians packed into the space, a marauding army of dazzling, varied weaponry. They gave me a round of applause, and I sat down at the piano, reassured. I knew this place, at least, these black hills and white valleys, this familiar topography. Sir William lifted his arms and brought them down, and the orchestra's sound filled the air around me. I waited for my exact moment of entry, like a surfer assessing a wave, and then dived in and caught it. Playing with good orchestra gives you wings, is greatest freedom, greatest joy. The orchestral sound vibrated up through the floor and into the piano itself. I met it with my own sound, 
and it was the most thrilling conversation I had known. Good, said Sir William Southgate, when we came to the end. That's about what I hoped. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll now have a fifteen-minute break and meet Anna again at the Adelaide Town Hall. Was that it? I could have kept playing all morning. From the first taste, playing a concerto was an addictive pleasure, the type of pleasure that recalibrated all the others. At the dress rehearsal the following day, I left my father in the stalls to gauge the balance and climbed onto the stage. The piano was perched at the far right, with the orchestra crammed to its left. My fellow finalists were shadowy figures in the audience. An ABC engineer ran back and forth. I glanced down at the eight-foot drop to my right and quickly looked away. Peril was everywhere. Right, said Sir William. Last concerto before lunch. Once through from the top, with no stopping. The orchestra sounded different in here, more brash and less forgiving. At my first entry, my sound lacked authority, but I coached myself back into a simulacrum of heroism. In the second movement, I started to get warm under the stage lights. The piano stool was too low, or perhaps it was too high, and my breathing felt forced. Whose hands were these playing these chromatic chords beneath me? What made them think they knew what they were doing? I approached an extended sequence of chord clusters, a chromatic progression over a C-sharp pedal point. It was a sequence I could have played backwards, but I began to wonder if I really knew it, or if I had always just been lucky. What if that luck had now run out? Some part of myself enjoyed this question. Some part of myself wanted to know what this would look like, broken. I imagined the feeling of skipping a bar, and it was like the visceral anticipation of toppling off a cliff, that rehearsal of disaster that is vertigo. I felt it as a plunge in my stomach. And no sooner had I imagined this than my hands, deftly naturally as I had trained them, followed my imagination, and the world shifted sideways, revealing the chaos beneath. Stay calm and you will find your way back in. I was now playing handfuls of made-up chords, like a child banging deliriously on a keyboard, marking time before the next orchestral climax. These were not the spicy dissonances of Cacciaturian's concerto, but others entirely. Sir William shot me an anxious look, and slowly, inexorably, like an oil tanker running aground, the orchestra registered its panic. Behind my dry-mouthed horror, I marvelled that something that could begin so small as a tiny cognitive event, a doubt, a dare, could translate so quickly into a catastrophe, eighty musicians beached in a musical no-man's land with their instruments. Sir William drew his hands together in an emphatic line, stopping proceedings. In the ensuing endless silence, I seemed to occupy the bodies of everyone in that auditorium. I felt the sudden animation of my competitors, their heady cocktail of empathy and schadenfreude. I felt a lump and resentment in the orchestral musicians, a rumble in their stomachs as lunch break receded. And I felt a new distrust in Sir William, an anxiety about keeping this good ship afloat with a suddenly unreliable first mate. The one body I could not afford to occupy at that moment was my own, paralysed under the stage lights. It doesn't matter at all, Sir William said. His voice squeaked pubescently. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, from the letter K. This time there was no margin for error. One slip in a dress rehearsal might be partially forgiven, but two slips would be suicidal. 
I clung to those cord clusters as though for life, keeping them focused in my mind, staying on this side of sense, of coherence. And I made it through. But I had lost my nerve, and throughout the third movement I followed the orchestra meekly, hoping that this day would finish soon, or that I, at least, would vanish from it. When we arrived home, I called Mrs Sivan. Much better to have problem in rehearsal than in concert, she assured me. You know, I always superstitious. Bad rehearsal means good concert. Enjoy your life and always remember, music is natural communication and sound. It's language combined of your wisdom, of your generosity, of your fantasy, of your imagination, of your physical precision, yes, and of your absolutely clear communication. My darling, you absolutely prepared. Concerto sounded excellent in lesson, just excellent. How often I say that? Never. Exactly. I felt reassured by her words and practiced for an hour and then had a nap. When I awoke, the morning's errors were the errors of a previous self for whom I would no longer be held accountable. After an early dinner, my mother helped me get ready. We had spent weeks selecting the material for my gown in an exact shade of red that would not be drained by the lights. Now she helped me to climb into it and I put on my drop pearl earrings, a birthday present from my parents designed by Mrs Sivan's husband, Isaac. As I stood in front of the mirror in this dazzling outfit, I realised I had transformed myself into something safe. It was an armour, a superhero's costume, in which anything was possible. Backstage at the town hall, my mother escorted me to my dressing room. She kissed me goodbye, and I sat down at the upright piano and practised the chord sequence from the second movement. Miss Goldsworthy, this is your ten-minute call. I started surprised that the walls of the dressing room could talk. This is your ten-minute call to the stage. I practised the progression again like a meditation, a mantra. In half an hour this experience would be over, and I would probably still be alive, and so would my loved ones. Miss Goldsworthy, this is your five-minute call to the stage. I repeat, this is your five-minute call. But it was not enough just to endure this experience, to survive it. There were a thousand people out there waiting to hear me. There was an orchestra of 80 ready to accompany me. This was the fulfilment of my childhood dream, and it was only four minutes away. I realised my life had been building up to this moment, this grand Hollywood ending, in which I would triumph over all those obstacles, all those naysayers, all those doubts, those elusive honourable mentions, my eighth-grade examiner and his toad-like sea, Mrs Sivan's early words, Anna will never be concert pianist, all disproved. Pimples, obsessive-compulsive disorder, oral hallucinations, vanquished without exception. Nothing could stand in my way as I moved towards this culminating triumph. There was a knock on my door. It was Sir William, in a tuxedo. You look dazzling, he said. I do believe they're ready for you. He offered me his arm and escorted me through the banquet room and up the steps to the back of the stage. I fixed a smile on my face and as soon as I stepped out on the stage, it became genuine. A honey-coloured warmth pours up from the audience, and this giant auditorium feels life-sized, the size of a room in my house. I sit at the piano with its familiar grin, and nod at Sir William, and the orchestra begins. 
From the moment of my first entry, I know I can occupy this entire space with my sound. I am a giant up here, controlling these 80 people to my left, seducing these thousand people to my right. The dress circle is close as a mantelpiece. The chandeliers hang like grapes, an arm's length away. Later tonight, I will be summoned back to the stage with my fellow finalists for the announcement of results. Two of them are child prodigies, the other is half my height. Very embarrassing, you look like Queen in kindergarten, Mrs Sivan will say. As soon as I heard ten-year-old play Liszt Concerto, I knew we had no chance. Four months later, after winning the Adelaide Chamber Orchestra Concerto Competition, I will again be on this stage playing a Beethoven concerto, and the conductor will succumb to heat stroke, and my parents will administer first aid to him backstage. And three months after that, I will be on a plane flying to Texas, the engine still resonating with my mother's elemental bellow, her animal grief, as I left and walked through that boarding gate and out of my childhood. I will feel as light as air up there, almost non-existent. But right now, I know exactly where I am. There is the x-axis of my life, lined up across the front row of the dress circle. My mother, my father, my grandparents, my handsome siblings. And there is my y-axis, Mrs Sivan, sitting in the stalls alongside her husband. I am held by their love, and I am held by this orchestra, and I fly through this hall in music, playing the soundtrack of my joy, my triumph. <laughs> 